healthcare is all about helping people get healthy, right? And I found it fascinating that when you'd sit for design boards and, and study design, um, one of the things you commit to is protecting the health, safety, and welfare of the public. Well, that's the same thing you commit to as a nurse. That's Julianne Behrens, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and in this episode, I am really excited for you to meet Julianne Behrens. She's the co-founder of Refine Kitchens based in San Diego, California. They're a design and remodeling company with a mission to reduce the environmental impact of interior design. They come and remove gently and barely used kitchens and repurpose them in new design projects, keeping cabinets, appliances, and more out of the landfill. In this episode, we discuss her career journey from nurse to designer to social entrepreneur, why we should all be thinking about our home care plan, and how no matter what your job or business, you're always secretly a caregiver to your customers. Are you, like Julianne, looking to combine your passions to change the world? You're exactly who I built my Powerful Ladies Thrive membership for. Join me on weekly group coaching calls, monthly workshops, tools, resources, and a community of like-minded women who are rising and collaborating together. Learn how to build, launch, grow, and scale your business. Run your business with confidence, have repeatable strategies that work, and watch your business grow while you change the world. Visit thepowerfulladies.com to join today. Well, welcome to the Powerful Ladies podcast. Well, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be with you. I am very excited. I I love what your company is up to. I love how it's... um, making a difference in the world. So let's begin by telling everybody who you are, what your business is, and and what you're up to in the world. Okay, well, I'm Julianne Behrens, and um, uh, what what my business is, we, I, together with my son, we own a company called Refined Kitchens, and um, that's more than just a play on words. It's a philosophy, and um, we work hard to make luxury kitchens um, sustainable, environmentally, economically, socially, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, and what what exactly do you guys do with kitchens? Um, we, oh God, that's a big long answer. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? We deconstruct. So as opposed to demo, right? You come in with the big sledgehammers. You've everybody seen that on HGTV shows. We don't do that. So we carefully deconstruct existing kitchens, bathrooms, and um, beautiful things. And then I redesign with those for our clients. So I say the cabinets are my Legos and I play Tetris all day. Um, and that's... That's the easiest way to explain, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the um, the business, but um, the whole business model and the economics of how that works. Maybe we'll get into that as, as we go along. Yeah, sure. Um, so for everyone listening, basically you guys are saving amazing kitchens that are still in almost new condition and repurposing them, giving them a second chance at life and basically avoiding the landfill. Um, I am such a nerd about how can we keep things out of the landfill? How can we reuse things? How can we use what we already have? 
Um, I, you know, going to Portland once on a trip and they have this amazing home goods store that's full of extra doors and cabinets and all these pieces that you could build so many new houses with. Um, what was it that inspired you guys to go into this space and to to make this a kind of a mission-based business? I think um, a lot of it started just, I was um, raised in the Midwest on a farm with an ethos of um, uh, what is um, waste not, want not, I guess is the the best, you know, little adage for that. And that's kind of the way that permeates how you go about um, life. It's like one of those fundamental drivers. And my first degree was in nursing. So I'm a registered nurse. Um, My second was in design. And so healthcare is all about helping people get healthy, right? Um, And I found it fascinating that when you'd sit for design boards and and study design, um, one of the things you commit to is protecting the health, safety, and welfare of the public. Well, that's the same thing you commit to as a nurse, right? Um, And then here I am doing design, and I started out in commercial design. And um, what we were doing was so not protecting the health, safety, and welfare. And um, um there's a oh what is that old expression um um so the quote that you were looking for is a um, emerson quote uh, we do not inherit the earth for our ancestors we borrow it for from our children right so in and with that knowledge and it kind of goes hand in hand with a uh um quote uh, um from William McDonough in the book Cradle to Cradle where he talks about meeting the needs of today without compromising the needs and the ability of future generations to meet their needs. So um, my, I'm going to borrow from my son who said, well, let's borrow from the past to meet today's design needs, right? And so that's a lot of what we do. And we reimagine how um, to use these very lightly used, often very lightly used um cabinets and materials to create new beautiful environments for people yeah and and we know um you're currently in southern california right outside of is it outside of san diego or are you in orange county um we do deconstructions up in orange county we are physically located in san diego yeah perfect so i'm i'm in costa mesa so between Orange County, LA, and San Diego, there are so many homes being remodeled all the time. And so often there's nothing wrong with the kitchen that they have, <laughs> right? It's just aesthetics it's, or, yes. or personal <laughs> choice. And so so often, even <clears throat> in um, with all the alleys that we have, so often you will see something brand new in an alley for who knows what reason. And... Um, it's crazy how much we are cycling through things in our, you know, first world level 10 <laughs> privilege that we have here. Um, <clears throat> what spawned the idea to create Refind? Was there a um, moment where you guys got frustrated or w- what was the line in the sand? Uh, in, um, 
I, I think it, you know, if, <laughs> if my son was on the phone, he would, or on this call, he would probably tell you it was from listening and, you know, and hearing me over the years. Um, and, but without, I had not come up with a viable solution for how to change it. Um, and then, right, interstage left or stage right, however you want to do it, um, somebody who goes and gets a degree in economics and starts looking at um, the problem differently um, and um, brings that knowledge and skill base to the table. And so he called me one day and and, and sent over um, some information and said, what do you think of this concept? And so we did a feasibility study to to just really look at, is there enough churn in society where we could um, do this and make it viable? And we sat down and I met with several contractors, general contractors who said, don't do it. It's too hard. Um, and mm-hmm. we did it anyway. Right. So, and initially it was proving to people that reuse could be beautiful, um, that the cabinets really do look um, new or nearly new. And um, then it was just building the relationships that allowed us to to do all of it. And you kind of hit on um, one of the um, the most difficult things we face, and that is finding and and sourcing the um, those beautiful kitchens that are being disposed of before they get disposed of, right? Um, and that's probably one of the biggest roadblocks or challenges right now that I would love for everyone who is um, in your listening audience to to um, realize that there is an avenue for that, that they could save them. Um, it could actually, you know, lead to huge tax credits. If you've got a beautiful kitchen, um, it can actually, you know, make money keep it out of a landfill. There's just so many positive things that could come of this. And we could even do your deconstruction for free. So there's lots of things that um, mm-hmm. if they, you know, how do I get to those people and get them to call me first? Um, or at least ask the question that would be, mm-hmm. that's the that's the secret sauce we're trying to come up with. <laughs> Well, I have a few interior design clients and some other clients who work with interior designers. So I will definitely connect you with them Um, because, yeah, you really need the people, either the homeowners or the people touching everything and planning out. Right. To to be partners. It's I don't think people realize how how much partnership is involved in the things that really make an impact in the world. And you're right. It's getting people to just know you exist first and know that they can call you second. <laughs> like, just call us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's so, so true. And there are so many contractors, um, general contractors out there who, um, those who know about us um, are amazing. And they don't like taking truckloads of things to the landfill any more than you or I, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they're in the building industry, but they know um, the the waste that's created, and they may not be aware of the um, streams that are available to so that it doesn't have to go to the landfill. Where can we um, best place those things? And um, it's it's been amazing to develop those relationships, and so gratifying we to have so many people that I would love to see. 
on, um, you know, featured on Powerful Ladies podcast because they do bring so much to the table um, and um, in helping us, you know, create a, mm -hmm. a more sustainable world. So, yeah. Did you ever imagine that you would be in business with your son? I did not. And it is, um, you know, anybody looking at it would not say that this is, you know, somebody who's, you know, approaching retirement age. I'm getting within a few years of it, hopefully, um, you know, to do a, a, a risky startup. Any business endeavor is risky. Mm -hmm. And to so to be doing this, you know, they would say I was crazy. But um, it is just so amazing to be able to live in San Diego, to be on this journey together. And it's so gratifying as a parent to, you know, just discover who your child is in a very different way, you know, as a now grown man. So, mm -hmm. and we're definitely, you know, family owned and operated. So. And how proud must you be for him to be, you know, coming to you with a solution for something that you both value? Right. Like you must feel like a proud mom. Like, yes, I got, I got at least that <laughs> lesson through. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so true. And both of my children, my <laughs> daughter works um, uh, in a different field, but um, they both live this lifestyle of, um, you know, just really caring for um, our planet and trying to tread, tread lightly. Mm-hmm. How, how, what was your journey from Midwest to San Diego? Um, well, I born and raised in the Midwest and then moved um, back when I was married to um, Arizona. And really, that was a move for my um, husband's um, career at that point um, and was living there. Um, my daughter, we would visit San Diego, of course, um, and my daughter went to UCSD undergrad, and when when David was actually doing his Fulbright year in Uruguay, um, I was single, living and working in Arizona, and my daughter said, move to San Diego. So I moved to San Diego. So, <laughs> and then when we started and the no business- no looking back, right? No, yeah, no looking back. And when we started the company, we had an opportunity to, because there were several- large cities, you know, as you, you mentioned, LA, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If we had chosen to headquarter the business there, it could absolutely support this. The same is true of the Bay Area and also Seattle and Portland. All of those communities mm -hmm. could um, benefit from this business model. Um, but my daughter was here, I was here, and my son, um, when he came back um, from his Fulbright year, was living in San Francisco. And mm -hmm. so, and working there. And so it was, okay, you move down here, you come down to us. Yeah. So, well, well, and it's great, I think, too, when you have a startup and you have it catered towards, you know, making an impact for the planet and doing good. It's really great to be surrounded in a, in a community that supports that, that logic. Um, you know, not every city would be is pro putting the environment before business or blending the two. And San, Di San Diego is such a great place for that. Um, many parts of California are, but uh, I think San Diego in particular of people who live in San Diego just know how how they you use the outdoors in a different way than you do in other places. 
And it's, I think people are inherently just much more related to it. Have you experienced that yourself, um, having that business base there? I do think that I would, I would say California, right. And Mm -hmm. is much more, um, sustainably minded and, and in really, um, down, right down to the nitty gritty, right? So, um, the greening of the grid, um, the types of energy we use, um, really, and, and taking a stand on things that wouldn't necessarily be as easy to it embrace in other parts Mm -hmm. of the country but we do here um and um we take a stand and and so it has it's it's your message is falling on maybe more um, receptive ears here Mm -hmm. and and that's really nice it's to not have to be fighting it on so many fronts Mm -hmm. yeah well and um, being a designer i'm sure you um have had to be entrepreneurial before uh, and even I would say nursing is secretly very entrepreneurial and having <laughs> to be resourceful and problem solve, right? So you keep keep choosing career paths where um, there there isn't a, a defined path that works every day. Um, what is it about having that type of approach in your work that you find really satisfying? Well, I don't know if it's masochism or <laughs> what to blame it on, um, um, or just the, the constant um, opportunity to look at um, a set of circumstances differently um, and problem software. There was there, um, and you just tied the two together, and you're you're so right. So I come from a very nursing was my first career, very science based, right? And um, I'm, you know, fast forward fifteen years or whatever it was after that, and and I'm um, now new in a design career and reading an article on that was published by the Center for Healthcare Design, which documented better patient outcomes and mm-hmm. increase staff retention and all of these metrics just because we had provided views to the exterior and ways for not only um, patients to be outside and in ex- outdoor gardens, but for staff to get away and not be so stressed. So, um, and what it took at the time, because that was published over 20 years ago now, so what it took at the time for the, that architect um, and that group of people was really just that, like, hmm, to just sit and puzzle. Well, what if we looked at it differently? And then look at all of the data that we have acquired since that documents just how valuable that is, the, the mm-hmm. daylighting in um, our schools. And that, you know, when children are looking outside, they're not daydreaming. It's you can keep talking. They don't you know, you don't have to put them in a windowless room. So it's just and I get and the same is true with this. I mean, I take and it and if I get it down to the very, you know, um, granular level, I'll take a, a, a cabinet, which normally might hang on the wall one direction and be called a wall cabinet. Well, if I stack two together and I do this with it, well, that makes a pantry. And or I can do whatever it is, right? It's looking at how we use something and just changing it up a bit. And um, as 
so far so good. It's it's worked and it's mm-hmm. been delightful. And um, we've just met, met and been able to um, interface with so many. I'm just grateful for the the clients and the people who are willing to, you know, take this journey with us, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, people talk a lot about like you are what you eat, um, but my my undergrad kind of background is in um, urban anthropology. So like why street grids matter, why different community layouts impact people. And I don't think people give enough credit to how our space impacts us. And to have spaces that allow you to, you know, either relax or rejuvenate or be focused or just to feel good about the fact that everything in here, like, didn't hurt something, (laughs) didn't hurt someone. (laughs) Like, there's a big movement, right? To like, how do you get a sustainable home now versus just food? Um, And I'm sure more people are present to it since we've been trapped in our homes for about a year now, where you look around and you're like, it all has to go. You know, like there's so many people who (laughs) are conmarine, who are redecorating, who are just moving because you realize when you're stuck in your space, does it or does it work for you and what you're up to? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so it's so undervalued, I think, um, because so often it's either in, in the American approach to to a home, you would move, move in, decorate, like try to do all of it in a week right? We're so urgent to like get to the end result. Um, And from my experience living in Europe, like you take your time, like it's okay to have a room that has just a couch in it for a while or no art up yet because you haven't figured out how you're using the space or what you're doing with it. I also really loved that in Germany, the homes didn't come with wardrobes or kitchens. And it was great because in reality, the two things that need to be the most customized are wardrobes and kitchens. So like, why would we just plug and play that everybody can use the same one? Um, So thinking about design and and how you approach it, um, what matters most to you when you're you're looking at a space or bringing a space to life? What you you just hit the nail on the head and, um, you know, you could have been taking a page out of Winston Churchill's speech to Parliament when they were talking about rebuilding the parliament buildings, and um, he's quoted as saying, we shape our built environments and thereafter they shape us, which, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an easy, you know, but it is so astute and so true. Um, And so the biggest thing for me in when I'm meeting with people is and and trying to discern what they're looking for and and how to best um, help them is Am I creating a functional space? Um, I've often been heard to say, I can make anything pretty, but if it doesn't work, you're going to hate it. You know, it's just, it, if it doesn't support the functions that you need to be doing in that space, um, it's just going to be frustrating. So making a, a kitchen, um, and sometimes, and it looks very different, um, for every person, depending on the programming that goes into it. So just like you create a program or a a care plan for a patient, you create the same thing for a homeowner or for a business, if I happen to be designing for a business, that um, is going to meet the needs of the staff or the individuals that are living and working in that space. 
So that's what comes first is actually looking at all of the interior architecture and how the spaces relate to one another and then laying it out and getting down to that, again, more granular level where is this within so many steps of that and and following all of those um, principles of of kitchen design or bathroom design or closet design, all of those, um, you know, there's guidelines for those. And then you use those to inform your decisions for each person that you're working Mm -hmm. for or family. Well, and I love that you called it a care plan because that's what it should be, right? We don't think that (laughs) our home is is a um, part of self-care, but it really should be. Okay, what's your care plan for when you are in your space that's supposed to be the safest? Um, You know, I... I'm lately have been obsessed with watching whatever I can get my hands on for interior design stuff on YouTube. Excuse me. And there was, I was watching like 10 ways to, you know, elevate your home simply. And the one that caught me off guard, because you don't think about it, is lighting. Like simply having all of your light bulbs be warm or cool or the right whatever, or even placement. But before we even get to, to lighting placement, just are all your light bulbs the same? And I was like, I've never even thought about that. Like, but you realize it's one of those things that irritates you. Like we have a hallway light that is like a, a blue light, which I hate. Every time I turn it on, I'm like, oh, like every time. And it's like, <laughs> why am I not just changing the light bulb? Mm-hmm. It's it's so, so true. And the different, um, it's, lighting is huge, right? And in my industry, I say it's not good design if you can't see it. So I need all the different um, levels of lighting and I need the color temperature, which is what you're referring to, Mm -hmm. to be correct for what I'm trying to accomplish in each of those spaces. And you, as you move from one space to another, it's very jarring on the the brain to change Mm -hmm. the color temperature. And especially if it's out of sync with what's going on in the outdoor world. So our biorhythms are influenced by that, right? So the mm-hmm. light becomes more blue and, and brighter in the peak part of the day. The color temperature reaches something closer to 5,000 degrees Kelvin versus in the evening towards sunset when we're looking at what we're typically used to in our homes, which is closer to 2,700 degrees Kelvin. And so all of that and where, so where the light source comes from and the color of that light source you're, is so, so important to create those, um, the, the ambiance in the space and mm-hmm. um, support the tasks that you're trying to do in the space. So. Mm-hmm. so similar to lighting, what are some things that you think are super critical to a space that people tend to forget about? Because they're so focused on like, what's the rug or what's the couch? Because I feel like that's where most people go. What are the big <laughs> things? And really the big things are the things that you're not even noticing. Um, I think one of the biggest is <clears throat> the things that are going to contribute to making um, the space feel like a um, collective whole and support everything that you want to do in that space. So um, I think acknowledging that people you don't always have the opportunity to go in and do a complete renovation and 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 outfit it all at the same time much like you were talking about with moving into mm-hmm. a space in in um some of the european countries um 
so, but to have in mind at the front end, how all of these spaces will relate to one another and create a um, color um, palette that you're going to use everywhere. So there's a bit of a touchstone in each of the rooms that help unite everything and that bring all of your spaces together so that you're not walking from one room that's possibly decorated very Art Deco or Rococo or some design here, and then you go into the kitchen and and it's um, mid-century modern, and then you go into this space. That is um, very um, jarring, just like the different colored light temperatures can be very jarring. Um, And we've seen people use um, and misuse color, color theory um, principles of, um, and and then look at, do people like to be in those spaces? And you'll find, um, you know, if you painted your ceiling black and you've only got an eight foot ceiling and you're wondering why your guests are always anxious to leave that space or don't want to gather there, you know, I, I can tell you why, right? It's just, it, it doesn't follow um, the law of chromatic, uh, the color distribution, the law of chromatic design. Mm-hmm. It doesn't follow and it's very jarring to our sense of well-being. So mm-hmm. I think creating that um, a color palette and knowing kind of having a sense of who you are and being okay with whatever your true north is and mm-hmm. walking that through all of the spaces in your home is a good thing. Well, I creating think that's a great that holding environment. Yes, yeah. Um well, I think that's a great bridge to asking you when you hear the words powerful and ladies, what do they mean to you separately and what do they mean to you together? Um, well, there's, there's, um, I think powerful, um, typically to me, it, it, it goes to, you know, that word on its own It you know, I'm thinking more muscles, right? Strength, um, just that ability to, to power through things. But when I think about powerful ladies or, or, you know, powerful and that, uh, then it becomes, um, how are you, what's your, are you an influencer? How do you, um, walk, what, walk through life, right? And, and, and stay true to who you are and you know sometimes that means um delivering messages that um somebody doesn't necessarily want to hear and how are you able to do that and still support them in whatever their journey is because as a business woman entrepreneur um caregiver which is you know kind of both interior design um, and nursing are both caregiving kinds of professions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're delivering things that people don't want to hear, whether that you can't afford to do all of this right now or um, this diagnosis sucks, but this is these are some things that might make it easier. So you're helping to provide solutions given what um, tools I have in my tool belt, right, mm-hmm. are um, that help people realize and live a better life, a happier mm-hmm. life. So, um, 
And sometimes that's on a very small one-on-one scale. And sometimes um, that's larger where I have staff and I'm influencing them. So it kind of applies, whether it's one-on-one or a larger network. For sure. And, and even, you know, professionally, personally, families, employees. Yeah. We, um, you know, when I'm working with my entrepreneur clients and we're trying to talk about how to communicate their business, <clears throat> even how to sell more, I always ask them, well, you know, are you talking about how you're here to help people? And I love, you know, I have a second phrase that I love that you said today about like every job is a caregiver. So you know, if more businesses spoke to how they are a caregiver, I think they'd be surprised at how many more people come knocking um, because people people really want to be helped. <laughs> they, they they want your expertise. They, well, you know, we think it's the bad news. They, they, that's what they call you. They need, they need it. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's so true. It's, it's that people don't um, care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, and um, and for me, the irony of of the, that statement. I mean, I I can remember back to having clients where I was, you know, Mrs. Green Jeans back in the day in in Arizona practicing sustainable design. When most of my patient my patients, and I often call my clients patients, so <laughs> it just yeah. comes with the territory. Um, they didn't care, but what they would say to me is. They didn't care about the sustainability part of it. They wanted the aesthetic. And if I could give you clay-based paint or plaster that actually retained moisture and then um, put humidity back into the environment, which is so good for our complexions mm-hmm. and for our lung health and all of those things, well, that was just an added benefit, right? So it was, it. you're constantly you know, bringing that, your knowledge base to the table to help care for people in, in those different ways. So, yeah. And and you, and you also said something really big in that of meeting people where they are, right? Like so often when we're trying to change the world, like we know we're changing things, but the customer cares about price or time, or as you said, the aesthetic. So how do we meet them where they are and then just keep ex- exposing all the other ways to move people with you? Because, you know, I, I worked in foot and apparel for 20 years and trying to make sustainable products. It was like for 20 years trying and trying. And so often nobody wanted to pay extra for it. They would say, you know, where, where does this rank for you? They say, we care about this. Will you pay for it? No. And you're like, come on. <laughs> <clears throat> Now things are changing a bit more, um, but it's still a small percentage of when people are looking at footwear and apparel, it's still a small piece. Um, and so often we would be making sustainable products and never marketing it, never telling anybody, just choosing as a business, we were going to do it that way um, because often the customer didn't care. They wanted to know the story or the athlete behind it or just have it look good. And if it looked good, then, you know, we could take care of it on the back end. So I love that you mentioned giving them what they wanted and then continuing to layer on, like pulling them a little bit closer to the other side. (laughs) Oh, and you've just brought, yeah. And the apparel industry is so closely tied in, in numbers of 
all the things that we don't want to see, right? Red label toxins mm-hmm. being and being used and all of those things and yeah. watching that industry become so much more um, environmentally conscious and sustainable has been wonderful. And then voting with our dollars is huge. Yeah. Um, there's um, Outer Known, and I'm sure you know of a lot of other companies that are doing everything from, you know, um, reusing cotton, you know, recycled cotton, organic cottons, linens, um, bamboos, all of those fibers. It's and in all the same way. And it does start with just that idea of um, having a smaller footprint, leaving, you know, and it's everything, right? It's carbon, it's water, mm-hmm. it's fewer natural resources going into it, all of those things. Yeah. And um, and how do we get people to engage with our, with our product, with what we're trying, mm-hmm. the product or service that we're selling, even if they don't um, have the same belief system that we do. And how do we keep that conversation going? No, how do we create that circular economy that makes everybody who's not currently engaged with us want to engage with us? And that was the part that I felt was so um, brilliant about the business model that my son came up with. Because if you are the owner of those luxury um cabinets and appliances and things that are no longer of use to you. Well, now we have a way that we can take those in, create a use for them. There's economic benefit for you. We keep it out of a landfill. Um, We do it in such a way that we come alongside your contractor. We just try to create a Mm win-win-win, right? Yeah. And it sounds like... Mm -hmm. If you're design-oriented and you're a maker... You want to be able to keep making new and fresh and and keep playing with design and creativity. And we want people to. So how do we find that balance of continuing to be creative and fresh and new without being wasteful? Um, the shirt I'm wearing today is from Amorvert, which is, you know, one of my favorite uh, sustainable brands. And I think that we're in such a unique place right now of where minimalism has come in and tiny homes and um, just environmental movement kind of regeneration as well, mostly thanks to a lot of young people who are super passionate about it, that there's a, and um, health consciousness, right? And, and eco living, like there's so many layers now where it's not just about saving the planet, it's saving us and, and you know, materials and resources and time and being so much more intentional. Um, it's And so I think it's really interesting seeing all those different philosophies or interests overlapping to finally come together to make, make some things more impactful. Um, even the KonMari process is, I think, such a huge benefit to moving people into thinking about what do I really have and why? Because um, it's just going through life, things accumulate. <laughs> and you're like, how did this stuff even get in my house? Even if you're being conscious about you think you are, and you're like, wait a second, like who who came here and dropped off this stuff in my place? <laughs> well, and it was so, I loved um, hearing Nancy, you know, and Eaton talk about, you know, what she's mm-hmm. doing and, and, and that she's made a, uh, created an entire business out from helping people to, to do exactly that. And um, the crazy piece is Nancy's son, Alex, used to live here in San Diego, and he worked for us while he was here. 
So it's just that teeny small world. And then I'm tuning in to you and to powerful ladies. And there's Nancy. And like, wait a minute, is that the same? And sure enough. So yeah. 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 There's there's so um there's so many people looking for solutions that allow you to do all of it. How do you have a beautiful new kitchen? And know that you didn't, you weren't um, greedy in wanting something new. And and I think that's really amazing. A, a friend of mine uh, lives in New Zealand now. And she's like, my entire shopping habits have changed because here you buy secondhand first. You only buy brand new if you have to. And she's like, it's a whole different reversing of how, how she came, she's from the UK originally, which has a huge, you know, high street, high turn, um, re, uh, you know, retail uh, industry. And for her, it's such a crazy thing to, to have her whole buying process completely flipped on its head. Wow. Um, and just by where she lives and the social pressure. And of course you do that. And like people are bragging about how many lives products have had versus where they like what brand it is instead mm-hmm. it's and it's you're right it's so it's it is that philosophical down to the right of mm-hmm. core of who you are um and my it, i tell the story of my grandmother and my mother my mother um wonderful person um but very type a and everything had to be right and there couldn't be a mark on anything don't touch don't do but all that and my grandmother, not her mother, it was her mother-in-law, who said, you know, Carol, I think you have a choice here. You can look at that scratch on the wood floor as a scar or a beauty mark. And if it's mm-hmm. a beauty mark, there's a story that goes along with it, right? And so to the story that goes with all of the, and we do try to pass that on. You know, we have, you know, cabinets that we took out of a home in Rancho Santa Fe here that the original owner purchased from the Sears and Roebuck's catalog. They were Youngstown cabinets from Youngstown, Pennsylvania. You know, the old end, we powder coated them and um, went through that process. And they're living their, you know, best life right now in Palm Springs Mm -hmm. in a new home and um, carried that whole story and you know, the, the owner of that house is a history professor and it's just mm-hmm. so, and he loved that era of design and, um, the, you know, the story behind it and the ability to, to keep that atomic, des- the beginning of atomic design alive in his house. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, sharing the story and it's so much more fun and interesting, right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. And that re- that reminds me of another person who's a good friend of Nancy and I's who's redoing her house right now and has a mid-century home. And she really wants to make it more functional, but also keep some of the authenticity. So absolutely need to connect you guys because she is right in that zone of, of what's next. And a whole kitchen is absolutely on the menu because the one <laughs> she has, I don't know who made it. Um, <clears throat> but there's I come from the East Coast in New England, and, you know, it's weird if you don't have pieces that have a story because they've been passed down or there's just the the history is what is so appreciated. Mm -hmm. And so looking for pieces that continue to tell a story coming through, um, you know, I love a good, you know, find from Ikea 
but it's way more interesting when it's been when it's been something that's been loved, even if it's a pre-loved IKEA item, like what's there? Like when you find the the piece of furniture that's been measuring a family's height or um, things like that, where you can see all the love. Like we have a, a wood table, a friend of mine custom built for us. And we were battling about like placemats or not. And I'm like, no, like I want the marks. <laughs> like I want to know somebody lived on this table. Like, it's that's what it's there for. Um, so of course, protect it for as long as we can. So it lasts. But if it doesn't have any of that character, um, it's not it's it's just another object versus something that's part of the house that's telling the story with you. Right. Yeah. It sounds similar. <clears throat> My brother tells a story about when he um, bought his like one new vehicle he's ever gotten because you typically he buys used. He put a scratch um, in it himself because he didn't want it to be that you know item that you couldn't use so mm-hmm. right off the bat he created the story that you know will live on with his kids as that car gets handed down right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> when when you look at um your life and your journey who are some of the women who have inspired you along the way either that you've known from afar or that you've known personally um Known personally would be the grandma who looked at the the, the floor and saw beauty marks. Um, you know, just a itty bitty pint of a person, and but you know, traveled throughout um, the Midwest and um, wasn't afraid to try things. And you know, early 1900s, she was out there doing and and. Um, so as far as, you know, being okay to take on challenges, that would, you know, she would be one of them. And then the other um, women, you know, definitely um, in more influential and in people that just in getting to know the San Diego um, history, the history of San Diego and who influenced one of them would be Kate Sessions, you know, a horticulturist who, you know, went to the city back in the late 1800s and said lease me this land or let me plant here and um became super influential in what we all know now as balboa park and that the old trees there are most of the older trees are a result of species that kate planted and her commitment to that so um you know, p- women who, and oftentimes it's, they're very quiet, you know, I don't think she was making waves back then, but just quietly go about, um, um, being true to herself and, um, doing good in the world. And I think she, mm-hmm. she did that. Um, Ruth Gator, um, Bader Ginsburg is another one who, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes quietly, sometimes not so quietly, right. Because of the positions that she held. Um, was able to do that same thing. And then within women in contracting, because, you know, I had a general contractor's license back when, you know, when you're five foot five and, you know, an interior designer, you're just not out running a general contracting crew, but I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love women in construction. And so the other one that I really have admired what she's done um, is Adrian Bennett. Um, who became the first um, female master plumber and built her own company and, you know, overcame um, 
I mean, she had MS, but learned to deal with, I mean, big issues in her life that didn't hold her back. And now she's helping to refurbish um, the old, um, I think it's the train station, um, and make that into Ford's plant in in Michigan and to revitalize that. And so again, it's this building with these great mm-hmm. stories and it's so beautiful and the architecture is amazing. So I think for, you know, those are some powerful ladies who it's good to look to what they, yeah. they did. And that's part of why this podcast started, right? There's so many women every day taking powerful positions in their own life because, you know, that one degree makes such a difference over time. And so many women who are influencing their communities and their families and even at the global level, nobody knows they exist because they're just head down, doing their thing, <laughs> moving forward and for me, it's so important to to shine a spotlight on on women like yourself and other guests we've had because I want to have conversations with you guys. I want other people to know that you're that you are all out there because it's so much more interesting to me than whatever the next celebrity thing that's happening. Um, these are you know real women with real stories that are like doing the work. And I haven't had a guest on yet who isn't trying to make the world a better place in whatever space they're in, whether their, you know, ideas are millions of people or their ideas of let's just start with 10, (laughs) right? Um, So it's, there's, there's so many good stories to be sharing and so many inspiring people that, you know, really are in our own neighborhoods. If we, if we look and ask and and start the conversation, Um, you know, for, you know, we ask everybody on the podcast where you would put yourself on the powerful lady scale um, one being average everyday human and 10 being the most powerful lady possible. Um, where do you think you would rank yourself on average and where do you think you would rank yourself today? Oh gosh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, um, you know, I, I, I think when, um, You know, I, I can remember being told I was full of piss and vinegar and from a very young age. And that wasn't a compliment. Um, but um, that, you know, piss and vinegar quotient has, you know, um, a high piss and vinegar quotient served has served me well <laughs> mm-hmm. for getting through some challenges. But the other thing that com- goes with being um, the having someone perceive you as being powerful, right, is that amazing team of people. It's always me and the mouse in my pocket, you know, and sometimes that mouse is my son. Sometimes that mouse is um, my team of designers who are, um, you know, doing just amazing work that aren't on the front lines. So um, I would, um, I would never want to say that it's just me on, on taking up that powerful stage because I've always been um, supported by so many wonderful people and had um, their assistance in getting there. And I think right now we are just, I'm feeling much more um, empowered and powerful. And I don't know if that is a timing thing or just feeling more comfortable delivering my own message with strength um, and the conviction of my belief feeling like um 
after 20 years of saying, you know, we have to be kinder to the planet, we have to tread lightly, um, that people are really engaging with us in doing that. So, you know, right today in this moment, I'm feeling like a nine and a half, like tomorrow the floodgates <laughs> are going to open and everybody's going to be going, okay, come deconstruct our beautiful space and use it again, give it another life. And, you know, we're going to have all the people, you know, wanting to come in and have my wonderful team designing new spaces mm -hmm. for them. So, so yeah, I, no, I feel I like we're it. in a good space. Yeah. And for everybody who wants to work with you, connect with you, where are all the places they can go and ways that they can, you know, have a conversation with you personally or with uh, Refine? Um, all of the social media things are absolutely there. So the Facebook, the Instagram, everything is at Refined Kitchens and it's R-E-F-I-N-D Kitchens, um, as in to find again. Um, so don't put an E in there. Um, and um, you can always reach out to me. Um, my direct phone number is 858-247-0939. And if I can't pick up, I will definitely return that call. And even if it's just, you just have a design question to, you know, you, you were listening to the podcast and you heard something about lighting and what color temperature should I be going for? You know, it's going to take me... 30 seconds to ask you a question and come up with the answer. And you don't have to go delving into to lighting theory in order to find the answer. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, to share those things that, you know, with whoever wants to reach out. I love that. Well, it has been such a pleasure to have you on today. Um, I love what you're doing. I love this conversation. I look forward to being able to connect again and hopefully sometime in person when everything that. opening yes. up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, we definitely want to start having some powerful lady guest reunions happening. Um, but this has just been such a pleasure. I love what you're up to and I really look forward to it being the norm that if we're remodeling, everybody calls you first. Uh, both to take what they have and to build what's new. So thank you so much. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Kara. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. All the links to connect with Julian are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com forward slash podcast. There you can also leave comments and ask questions about this episode. Want more Powerful Ladies? Come join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies, where you can also find some free downloads to start being powerful today. Subscribe to this podcast and help us connect with more listeners by leaving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking to connect directly with me, visit caraduffy.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope we're taking on being powerful in your life and go be awesome and up to something you love.